Thank you. Please remain standing for the reading of the scripture, which is Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 17, on page 90 in your pew Bibles. Hear the word of God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good, spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt, in the land of the Canaanites, into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. All right, before I begin today, I I need to mention something that I said last week. Um, Had some feedback, not from anybody here at this church, but somebody saw something, saw the sermon on... uh, Facebook and question something that I said. And trust me, I was very glad to get this question because it made me dig deeper too. So this is Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Okay, one verse taken out of context. In context, in the book of Habakkuk, God is speaking with Habakkuk, talking about God is planning to bring Babylon into Israel to take the Jews out to Babylon. And Habakkuk says, but God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. And from that, we get the doctrine of God cannot look upon sin. And I said last week, it's not in the Bible, that it's not true that God cannot look upon sin. The minute you say God cannot, you need to stop right there, because there's nothing that he cannot do. But taken out of context, it does sound like God can't look upon evil. But what Habakkuk was, was, he was actually honoring God saying, you're too pure. 
But it doesn't mean that God looks away when you sin. Because exactly what this person wanted to do was turn it into a doctrine of some people aren't going to be in heaven because of what they do. And I said, if that person accepts Christ, they'll be in heaven. So anyway, I just wanted to clarify that, that when I said that it's not biblical, I didn't, I should have said it is in the Bible in Habakkuk 1.13, but it is not a biblical doctrine in the sense that we say God just can't look upon sin. Therefore, if you're a sinner, you're not going to heaven. That's not true at all. So I just wanted to get that cleared up. So got a question. Have you ever made a promise? We've all made promises, right? Have you ever kept a promise? Sure. Okay. Have you ever broken a promise? Oh, nobody wants to talk about that one, right? I see a couple heads nodding. Sure. We've broken promises. We, that's who, we're human. It's sometimes we make a promise in haste and we realize, I can't ever keep that, really? You know, we try to recover from it or we just hope, well, maybe that person forgot what I said. But there's promises that are made in the Bible. We read about one this morning, verse 17. I promise to bring them out of Egypt. That promise was not broken. That promise was kept. Anytime God says, I promise, that promise is kept. He has never broken a promise. And there are promises that have yet to be fulfilled, and we can look to them because we know his track record. We know who he is. He's not going to break them. One of them that I'm thinking of is a promise of a covenant of peace. Now, in our world, do we have peace right now? No. Now, we have, may have peace in America, but do we have peace in the world? No. But God has promised that there will be peace in this world. And that is yet to come. It's something we can hold on to. But today's the first Sunday of Lent. Okay, so where is Lent in the Bible? Well, just like the Habakkuk, we can interpret something to be Lent, but it's not really what it is. A lot of people liken Lent to the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness. Okay, I understand that. He gave up something for 40 days, and he came out greater than he was. But Lent is actually, uh, was a pagan holiday that was adapted by the Catholic Church. And I'm not going to get into, you know, do or do not. It's not, that's not what this is about. I'm just giving the history of where Lent came from. It, it came from the Catholic Church. And in it, a lot of people try, they like to give up something for 40 days. And by all means, do that. Because it, it's good self-discipline, especially if you succeed in the 40 days. But at the same time, I would say to you, be careful. It's not like God's going to be mad if you don't give up something. It's not like God's going to be mad if you say, I'm going to give it up, and then don't do it, okay? Because it's not biblical, per se. But there's nothing wrong with celebrating the 40 days before Easter. I um, just wanted you to, to know that it's not a biblical concept. But anyway, because this starts Lent, this is the first Sunday of Lent, I decided to do a series on freedom. Freedom that God has promised to us. 
and that is, is ready for us. It's available for all of us. And I'm going to take the next several weeks to talk about it until we get to Easter. I'm not sure if I'll do Palm Sunday as part of this or not. We'll wait and see what happens when we get to April. But anyway, freedom is something that God has promised us. Freedom is something that is talked about quite a bit by both Jesus and Paul in the New Testament. But what is freedom? Now, if I ask all of you, what is freedom? I'm going to get a different answer than if I were to ask someone in, say, Russia, or even someone in Africa, or maybe even in Australia. Now, the answer in Australia might be similar to what I hear in America, but all around the world, when I ask the question, what is freedom? We're going to get different answers. Because freedom is defined by our experiences. Okay? That, I mean, whether that is true or not, I mean, whether that is accurate, we should do it that way or not, that is how we define it. That's what we come up with as freedom based on our experiences. Now, there's probably a great definition for freedom in the dictionary, and I haven't looked it up, but we would define it based on our experience, wouldn't we? That's why it would be different in America than it would be in some African country run by a dictator. It would be different today than it was prior to 1776, or even prior to the Revolutionary War. But we don't really know what freedom is until we experience freedom. What we read this morning in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, is the beginning of the Exodus. Now, that's why the book is called Exodus, to, to escape from, to leave from something is an Exodus, to come out of something is an Exodus. So God has called aside Moses, who he's going to lead, and he's going to have him bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. Now, we could spend a lot of time trying to understand how they got into Egypt, but you can read that for yourself in the Bible, in the Genesis, towards the end, maybe start at chapter 35 and read through chapter 50. You'll see how they kind of got into Israel with Joseph and how they went there because of a famine, and then they got, and read the first couple chapters of Exodus. You see how they got stuck there. Anyway, bottom line is they became slaves to the Egyptians when they were living in Egypt. They're, they were never intended to be living in Egypt. God had them come there for a specific purpose. Yes, God had them come there. Because what comes out of Egypt other than a great story is the story of the Passover, which is Jesus dying on the cross. What comes out of it is the story of the, of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which is Jesus in the grave. And the Feast of First Fruits, which is Jesus rising from the dead. Then we also get the Feast of Trumpets, which is Jesus' return someday. We get all kinds of things just from that, from the Israelites coming out of Egypt. A lot of Christians don't realize that, but it's so pure. But because we don't realize that, we don't really consider that part of our freedom experience, do we? If I were to ask you about freedom, would you turn to the Bible and talk about the book of Exodus? Most people wouldn't. They'd probably talk about the Revolutionary War, Independence Day, July 4th, fireworks, you know, cookouts, um, our government that we that supposedly protects us and, and doesn't burden us. Yeah, I won't get political. But anyway, we talk about those things that we have in America, right? 
But freedom really is a biblical concept, and it starts in the book of Exodus. It starts with God's promise to bring them out of Israel, or out of Egypt, into a land flowing with milk and honey. means a very beautiful land, a very um, land rich for growing crops. Not what they had, not at all what they had. They were getting beat down by the sun. They were working day and night to make the pyramids and, and other things for the Egyptians. But really, freedom is coming out of something. So physically, freedom began with Israel coming out of Egypt. Spiritually, freedom began. Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished. That's when spiritual freedom began. And that's one of the things we'll talk about during this sermon series over the next couple weeks. But there's lots of parts to it. But ultimately, what I want you to understand is until you experience true freedom, you have an understanding of freedom, but you don't really know what freedom is until you've experienced it. And my hope is that we can all experience the spiritual freedom that I'm talking about. That we never will fully grasp it until we're in heaven. That's the ultimate scene of freedom when we are all with the Lord in heaven. So we can't really describe it or tell about it because those who are there have never come back to tell us. And someday we will go there and understand it for ourselves. So we're kind of stuck, but we can get a good concept and a good grasp of what freedom is because of what Jesus has done. So if I do my job correctly, that's where you'll come into this. And if I haven't done my job correctly, please let me know, and I'll try again next time. But anyway, just a, a quick note about the Israelites. If we were to continue reading the book of Exodus, the first part of it is just amazing. I really highly recommend that we all take time to read at least the first 25 chapters of the book of Exodus. Now, beyond that, it goes into a lot of, it's, it's important, and I'm not saying it's not important, but it goes into a lot of um, repetitive, you know, the craftsmen and what they make and, and building the tabernacle. And, you know, you can get lost in that, I understand, but at least read that story of how they get to Egypt, start in Genesis, read about Joseph, how they get to Egypt, how they get enslaved, and how Moses brings them out. And the, the ten plagues that happen on Egypt, you can, or you can just watch the movie The Ten Commandments, I guess. It, it's pretty good. Um, but anyway, it's, it's better to read it in the Bible for yourself because God is working in you when you do that. But read that because it, it explains freedom. And you know, what you'll catch, you'll catch on to this, is they come out and they start to grumble because you know, they didn't know freedom. They were, all these people that came out, they were born in Egypt. They were born as slaves. They didn't know what freedom was. Their ancestors knew freedom, but they had all passed on. So these people who, for generations, and generations were born and died, 400 years, that's a lot of generations. These people come out, and they're like, all I knew was what was in Egypt. And all of a sudden, you're telling me I got freedom, and you're putting me in front of these giants, and you're putting me in front of no food, no water, 
What kind of freedom is this? Because they didn't know what freedom was. They didn't know. God wanted to give them freedom. He said, I promised them freedom. I promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. And they're like, can we go back to Egypt now? Because that's all they knew. So we have been living for however long, 53 years for me. Some of you are older, some are younger. However long you've been living, we build up these experiences. We know what freedom is, we think. But what if there's more? What if there's more that we don't know? Are you yourself saying, I want to go back to Egypt because you don't know what God has in store for you? Or maybe you just don't know what God has in store for you. You don't know what's in Egypt. You're just happy who you are. What if I showed you freedom you can have? What would you want? Would you want it or would you want to stay where you are? And you know what the most beautiful thing that God has given us? I I really believe this. The most beautiful thing outside of salvation, that is the best by far. But God gave us a choice. And if you think about people who choose not to believe in God, they still have a choice. And that's a beautiful thing. When we can look at someone's choice and say, you know what? My choice isn't the same as yours, but I still love you. Then you know what God's all about. Because God gives everybody a choice. And those who choose not to know him, they will suffer a consequence. But they still had a choice. No one is forced If that's not freedom, I don't know what is. If that's not freedom, I don't know what is. That we all have a choice. And as I present to you many things, you'll have a choice. You can say, that guy's off his rocker. Or you'll say, why have I never heard about this before? And when you hear these things, take it to God. I say this all the time. Take it to God, because I can make mistakes. I have made mistakes, and I will make more mistakes. So take it to God and ask him before you just say yes or no. And I don't even want you to just blindly accept it. I want you to take it to God. I don't want you to blindly reject it. I want you to take it to God. Because he's the one who's going to say, Phil's saying the truth, or he's going to say, go talk to Phil. He's off his rocker. And if I am, let me know, and I'll get back on it, and we'll correct it. Okay, so that's what's coming in the next few weeks. But really, if we think about it, if we've made that choice to accept Jesus for who he is, for what he's done, for what he will do, if we've made that choice, anything I say in the next few weeks is just adding on top of it. It doesn't take away and it doesn't build upon, or it builds upon, but it doesn't make any better what he did, and that's his death on the cross. Because there's nothing greater. Freedom's great. Jesus told us in John chapter 10, I have come to give them life and give them life abundantly. He wants us to have an abundant life, both here, now, on earth, and in heaven. And freedom is part of that. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ died for you. It is for freedom that Christ died for you. So he wants us to have freedom. But if you just, no matter what you choose, if you've made that choice, that first choice to say, Jesus, I need you. You died for me. 
forgive me of my sins. I don't care how you say it, but it's more of what you believe in your heart. If you believe that and you've chosen to accept that, you already know freedom. You already know freedom. We can make the freedom more enhanced, more understandable, get more out of it, but you already know freedom greater than anything in this world when you've accepted Christ as your Savior. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 to, be, to confess with your mouth, confess your sins before the Lord. He knows them already. And believe in your heart, and then you are saved. It's that simple. You don't work towards it. You don't sin yourself away from it. It's one simple thing. Do you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Savior? And have you told God that with your mouth? If you have, you are going to heaven. You have freedom. All that I'm going to speak about, all that we do, makes it under more understandable, gives us more knowledge, gives us more wisdom, but it doesn't take away nor make greater what Christ has already done. There's nothing greater. Nothing I can say is greater than what he has done. That's our foundation. And if any of you are questioning, I mean, I, I made a mistake years ago, Pastor, I assumed if you come into church and you are already a Christian, I made that mistake. I know that there could be, and I don't know that there is, but there could be someone in here who's saying, you know, I've heard this all my life and I just don't understand. Ask God then. If you're questioning, am I saved? Ask God. And if you're questioning, you're probably already saved, but ask God anyway. Tell him you want to believe. He'll help you believe. Tell him you have sinned. He'll help you come out of it. Because we've got to have that foundation, or the next few weeks will mean nothing to you. But with that foundation, we can greater understand what freedom is and what Christ has done for us. Because it's God's promise. The promise to Israel to have them come out of Egypt was the physical. The promise to all of us to come out of a world of sin is in Jesus Christ dying on the cross. You've heard me say this before, that God does everything in pairs, or at least two. It says in the Bible, Deuteronomy 6, that everything's confirmed by the witness of two or more. That's why we have 12 people on a jury, so there's more than two. Not one person can convict someone of a crime. It has to be a majority of people. But anyway, two or more. That's why we have, we're born and why we're born again. That's why we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's why you confess and believe. Everything that God does is two or more. So coming out of Egypt was one. Dying on the cross was two. And that's our foundation, and that's what we'll build upon. I hope I haven't lost you. I hope you're eager to follow and learn more. I'm eager to teach more, and I'm learning as I go along. But it's going to be wonderful, I believe, and we're going to find freedom because Christ died for our freedom. So join with me the next few weeks until we get to Easter, and we'll have a wonderful Easter celebration.
If there's anybody who's questioning, wondering, please ask me. I will help you understand salvation better if you don't understand it. Please do ask. Or ask someone. Someone will help you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your freedom. Thank you for your Son. Lord, thank you for everything. How amazing, how wonderful, how beautiful you are. Lord, we pray that you guide our hearts and direct us in the next few weeks as we learn about freedom. We pray that you will help us understand it in ways we've never understood before. Help us to see what we've never seen or help us to enhance what we already knew that in some way it may strengthen our relationship with you. That is our goal, Lord, to know you better, to be closer to you, to understand you more, to have greater knowledge of who you are. Do this for us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.